Hello everyone, welcome back to Points to Defend. At the end of the first week of the Australian Open, not long before a second week play starts, like a couple of hours away, but we're back. We had to take an unplanned break last week so we couldn't bring you all the action from the ATP Cup and the many, many ATP and WTA tournaments they had to cram into Melbourne Park last week. But we're here to talk about the Australian Open, a bit of that stuff from last week, and look forward to the second week of the Aussie Open as well. Yeah, I wouldn't even say the break is necessarily our fault. It's just there was so much tennis going on last week that we really didn't have time to record a podcast before the Australian Open started. But yeah, we we kept on top of everything and we'll sort of round it up quickly in this episode. Look at how the first three rounds have gone for everyone in Australia and make some predictions for how we think the rest of the tournament's going to go. Yeah. But I think the main thing that Australia has brought us in regards to tennis is something that we haven't seen for a while. Fans. A proper crowd. Carefree fans. Fans that are getting fans drunk. drunk. <laughs> Putting the finger up to Rafa, just vibing. It's been, it's been good to see because not only is it making the atmosphere of all the tournaments a lot better, but also it us here in England it gives us a bit of hope that things can sort of go back to normal eventually one day for us and obviously the sad news is that Melbourne has been thrown into a five-day lockdown because of five new cases in the last 48 hours well the last time we looked at the stats but yeah when it was announced by the Victorian Premier which is I think it just reminds you that in all this stuff you know when we were speaking about the players that were getting annoyed about the hard quarantine and even just how nice it is to have this tournament the important thing here is the fact that this is a country and a state that did so much work over the last year to stop this from happening and it is really really horrible to hear that the one thing they wanted to prevent was getting this strain from this country and they have done and He's hoping the five-day lockdown works. You know, we would love to have fans back after that five days is up. I think it means, Craig Tiley was speaking to him in Eurosport, I think it means from Thursday they can hope to have fans back in for the semi-finals and the finals weekend. But he's hoping that the five-day lockdown at least lets Victorians actually get back to what is somewhat normality afterwards. Yeah, it's obviously play is still going ahead everyone is still playing their matches on time so we have the fourth round starting what would be tonight for us when we're recording this but let's quickly recap the first three rounds of the Australian Open and start with my most heartbreaking moment of the season so far. It's our two favourites against each other you know it is such a shame that we genuinely didn't have the free time to do a podcast after the draw was made last week. Because this is one of the best Australian yeah. Open first round one matches. One of the best first rounds. And literally our two favourites pit against each other. And we couldn't react to it when the draw was made. But here we are to react to it after the match happened. Yeah, so in the first round we had Denis Shapovalov versus Yannick, Yannick Sinner. Sinner. And Sinner had just come off the back of winning a Melbourne, one of the Melbourne titles alongside Dan Evans. So he was obviously going into it a bit tired. And but with form. He's younger and he's obviously not as experienced on the tour as Dennis and he's a lower rank. And so he's giving it was it all... to James giving all the excuses. And it was all going against him, but But he th- took the first set. They put on what was an amazing match. So they... That was final worthy and if that is, you know, in five to ten years, a regular Grand Slam final that we see with the two of them of that calibre of, you know, the long 
twisting, turning five sets. Time me up. Yeah, I think that shows that the state of tennis wants the big three retire is in very good hands. But yeah, for me, it was it was sad to see Sinner go. For me, it was so good to see Dennis win. Thing is, Sinner took the first set 6-3 and looked fairly comfortable throughout. But then he sort of had a problem with his knee and you could see his movement was a little bit... Yeah. Actually, and we'll, we'll come on to injuries a little bit later in the episode because it's sort of a running theme with especially the last round. But yeah... Dennis took the next two in comfortable fashion, but then Sinner sort of sparked a little resurgence in the fourth, and then it all sort of went wrong in the fifth, got a breakdown and never really recovered. But a very strong showing from Sinner, and I think if he hadn't played the week before, he had Dennis. He would have had it in him to get through that fifth set, definitely, and I don't know if he would have dropped off at all in the second and third. You know, that could have been a four-set win for Sinner, but it was just so good to watch it was such a shame that by the end Sinner was quite fatigued I think it was one of those things where it looked like he was limping off court after but as far as I'm aware it's been a little while since that match now it's not an actual injury I think that is just how fatigued he was yeah. and yeah credit to Dennis as well because if you think something like his match against I think it was Corona Booster at the US Open he managed to take it five and then it, he lost something like six love or six one, and it was almost like you could see Crano Booster was the more experienced player there because Crano Booster kind of thought, okay, I'll take my L with this fourth set and really have it in me to fight for the fifth. Um, Dennis will tire himself out in that fourth set and not be able to finish the final set, and it was almost like Dennis then did this to the less experienced player here. Yeah, that was definitely the main or the biggest match from the first round. To be fair, this this year. In terms of the men's side, we didn't have that many big upsets in the first round. Obviously, I think the most heartbreaking upset, and I think most people would agree with this, was one piece. On you, the men's side. Yeah, because you could just see how much he... Because going going into the break in play last season, Monfils had won two back-to-back titles in Rotterdam and Marseille. I think it was there, yeah. Then... Dubai a, semi-final. In which he took a set off Djokovic. And I think had match points and then somehow lost the tie break or something like that. So alongside Djokovic and Rublev was one of the most informed players going into the break and play, but never hit that form. Yeah. Well, as he told me, in Muslim yes. ATP, he got very and deep, which I didn't it. expect. He thought that was going to be the year for him. And I think it would have been if they never had the break. Mm. And at 34, it's difficult to sort of bounce back from... A bit of a drop in form, but you could see how much it hurt him crashing out in the first round. Also, Chilich out in the first round to Dimitrov, which ne- isn't necessarily that surprising, but two very big names. That was a big first round. And also Nishikori in his Karena Booster rematch at the Australian Open. You know, the infamous one where Karena oh, yes, Booster, Booster threw his bag. Launches oh, his bag. Oh my god, I can't believe you know about that. Yeah. So, yeah, they're the really shock upsets from the men's side. In the first round. And, you know, since then we've lost people like Stan as well. But we've also some other big names, which we'll get onto in a bit. <laughs> yeah. But I think one of the standout matches from the women's side in the earlier rounds is... Halep and Tomljanovic. To me, this was like just... I think it was a day or two after the Chapeau Cinema match. And for me, I would have been happy if... The finals of this tournament were Chapo Sinner and Simona and Isla because that match was like 
I mean, at the same time, as good as it was, it went exactly how I expected. I thought, you know, Isla was going to put up a very good fight, but I thought Halep was still going to come through in the end. And I think there were a lot of us who, even when Isla was 5-3, I think even like 5-2 or something, or 4-1 or something up in that final set, you kind of never thought she was going to serve it out. And she never did. Yeah, the thing is with Simona is she does go through blips like this. Yeah. But she is such an experienced player that you can never write her off. And I think this kind of showed that. I mean, she has that grit and determination that kind of only the top stars really have and that belief that they know they're good enough. And she obviously fought back. She's very stubborn as well. And I know they all are, but Simona's a bit more almost relatable stubborn where she gets annoyed in a way where we all see that and we're like, yeah, that's how I'd be on the tennis court. And I think even in the on-court interview after that match, she was saying, you know... They were. They asked her something about how she stayed positive, or or something, or what she was saying to herself, and she was like, "I was getting angry at myself." But I mean, if it works for her, then fair enough. But I mean, it obviously has worked for her because <laughs> she's won French and yeah, Wimbledon, beating Serena in the final. So yes, yeah. The thing with Isla is, obviously, earlier on in her career, she was very, very hindered by injury, almost in a way. Kokinakis has been which is who we're going to come on to in a minute but she's really come into her own in the last couple of years and it's just almost frustrating as a fan and probably very frustrating for her that she should have a seeded position she should be ranked high enough to be a seed because she doesn't deserve to come up against these big names in early rounds and you know she's drawn Halep in early rounds of Roland Garros and stuff in the past couple of years and I think it's just a shame because it is very unlikely that she will pip these people to the post and win those early matches. But if she could just, you know, have a few easier earlier rounds, I think she would go very deep and she would do very well. And then that would help her get her ranking up like she needs it to be to have the seed that I think she does deserve to have by her name. But then also you need to be able to serve out your match against Simona Halep. <laughs> yeah, we got, there's obviously um, playing against the big names. I think you also have that sort of, if you're a professional tennis player, you know how to serve. I mean, some people have questionable second serves, looking at Zverev and Nori, but you know how to serve. You wouldn't be a professional tennis player. You wouldn't be at a grand slam if you didn't. Yeah. But I think once you play against the big names, like a Serena or a Simona, I feel like you get in your own head a little bit. I think that happened to Zverev in the US Open final last yeah. year. You just sort of, you almost are too cautious in your serve and it almost hinders you because you kind of need to go through the ball a bit more. With these people, you think they're good enough to win. They might not be able to serve out. It's almost like you expect them to win only if they can break to win and not if they have to serve it out to win. And that is the problem. And that is the thing that, you know, separates these people from one another. Yeah, I sit here and think Isla deserves to be ranked high enough to be a seed. But also to do that, you need to be able to serve a match out like that and stay mentally tough. And, you know, we had... These incredible, incredible Australian crowds, really, really patriotic Australian crowds rooting for their players that we've seen so many times this first week. And that was one of those matches. And I think it should it should have been so much easier for her to serve this out than, you know, if this was against Simona at Roland Garros because the crowd wouldn't be on anyone's side. If they were going to be on someone's side, it'd be Simona's. But yeah, credit to both of them because it was incredible. But there were just some little moments at the end that went as you expected. Yeah, well, speaking of the crowd being on your side, <laughs> we've got two of 
Two more Aussies. I was going to say two of Australia's rising talents. One of them is, and one of them is essentially a household name in yeah. Australia at this point. So we'll start off with Sitsipas Kokonakis. Uh, so, I mean, Sitsipas sort of has a knack of going five sets with young, <laughs> sort of under-established players. We saw it at Rome and the French Open or in the clay swing. And he's done it again in Australia with the young Australian Kokonakis taking him to a fifth set. And, I mean, what a performance. Well, Tanasi's one of those, again, where he... It, you know, you never want to say it with this sport or with any sport, but if injuries hadn't hindered him the way they have, he would be right up there. He would be alongside Kyrgios, maybe not exactly to that extent, but he would be a frequent player on the tour, you know, definitely kind of top 70, top 60, just being able to sometimes scrape into a Masters and stuff like that. And injuries have been so cruel to Kokonakis and it's another one where it's just so unfortunate that he doesn't have that seeding by his name because he comes up against someone like Sitspass in an early round in the second round and loses when he is so 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 close to winning it and you know obviously this is the nature of the sport and we don't know what could have happened if he drew someone else but if he had if he didn't have to face the fifth seed Sitspass in the second round who knows what he could have done and you know if he played himself in a little bit but yeah, it's just, first of all, just really, really nice to see Tanasi back and playing like this in the first place. And one of those where you didn't really want either one of them to lose. Yeah, Sitsipas is also very beloved in Australia. He's got a massive Greek following out there. Well, that's the thing with these two is Kokonakis is Greek-Australian just like Nick. And it was very, you know, obviously the crowd were pulling for Kokonakis. But it was one of those matches, the same with Simona and Isla and the same with another match we're about to come on to, they will pull for Kokonakis just a bit more, but the second Sitsipas wins, they love him, Mm. because it's never against him. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no better example of a crowd being on someone's side (laughs) than Nick Kyrgios versus Dominic Team, And those first two sets, Nick was just on fire. Untouchable. He was, and that's what, playing on his favourite arena in front of a home crowd at his home tournament. It's just, that's what he can do. Yeah. And it's it's sad, it's not necessarily sad to see, but, like, you want him to maintain that. Yeah. And He's a lot got of so much it. promise. It's, all I've been seeing on Twitter is Australian Open Nick Kyrgios is Nick Kyrgios, honestly, all year round. And it's, it is for all, all of like, us. And it's, you know, it's not all business what he wants to choose to do but it would be so nice or davis cup us. yeah and he had a similar i think it was five sets against umber the round before so that was you know spicy enough as it was and then it was you were going to face team in the next round who is you know the new guy to have won a grand slam he is one of the big names now to be almost up there with um djokovic and nadal at the moment given who's playing on tour so we had all these kind of contextual factors of the fact that they did end up scheduling it on John Kane Arena. And a lot of us thought, oh, Nick was going to have to finally be moved to Rod Laver because it was such a big name tournament, not such a big name match. But we had Nick Kyrgios, you know, the home favourite playing the top seed guy who's the, I was going to say most recent Grand Slam winner, but French Open happened after, didn't mm. it? But And you've also got the fans knowing... That they were about to go into yeah. the lockdown. Which we all knew the crowd was going to be wild. And then 
we woke up and realised that the lockdown had been announced for Victoria and that fans were going to have to leave at about half 11 that evening and there was the prospect that they could have been kicked out in that match. They weren't in the end, they were in a different one. But yeah, you could see that whatever the crowd did was intensified by the fact that they knew like this is the last thing we're going to get to do before mm. five days of going back into something that we shouldn't have to be in. And Nick was thriving off it. So much. But also having a go at the umpire for not controlling the crowd when he didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, but that's almost out of respect for team, I think. You think the thing that cost him burr is his head went because he was getting jeered every time he'd miss a first serve or hit a shot long. And that's not Nick's fault, but... Mm. You almost don't want to win in that fashion, but yeah, I mean... Well, they were putting him off as well, to an extent. Mm. But those first two sets, Nick was on fire, he was yeah. untouchable, like, his forehands were crisp, his backhands were reaching, like, his serves were... I think that's Nick's biggest yeah. weapon, by always, miles, always. his serve. And then you could just see, at the beginning of the third set, those, like, it's almost like internalised doubts starting to creep in. Well, he, um, at the end of the second set... Team was just having these like really weird misses and like not getting these balls that he anyone should easily make, let alone Dominic Team. And we were sat here like, what's happened to him? Is he okay? His you head know? dropped. Yeah, he, he wasn't even celebrating um, winning a point. Yeah. He just walked. He just almost like he kind of tanked the moped, end of that set. Moped back he, yeah. to the back to the um the line. But and then we had the third set, and Nick had I think break point chances in the first game, whatever yeah. Dommy's first service game was. And then like you said, once he didn't get that, that's it. The doubt came in long enough for team to, you know, take that set quite quickly, take the next set quite quickly, and then ultimately the final set. I mean, team has sort of made a knack of coming back from two <laughs> sets down in a grand slam. So, I mean, you could never write him off at this point. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, it's one, again, one of those matches, just as with Shapovalov Sinner, that you don't want either of them to lose. Mm-hmm. And you don't want team to lose because he's got, he's like, career path up until this point has been so good and he almost deserves to win another slam at this point yeah. uh, but you don't want Nick to lose because it's Australia and it's Australian Open Nick Kyrgios on his stadium like this is what he does best is beat the biggest names and especially at home but yeah team as well dealt with the crowd I think people have been saying this online and I agree I don't think there is any player at all that could have dealt with that crowd better not even just in the fact that he didn't really let it phase him but just the fact that he's so respectful and understanding of why they're doing it and he doesn't take it personally and he's very you know calm and courteous and even after he joked about it in his on-court interview he was saying you know it's one of the most difficult things it's not mm. something you choose to do but I understand it and it's really nice to hear that kind of thing and of course the same with the other two matches we were speaking about with the Australian crowds as soon as it was over they love Dominic. It's just that they were pulling for their man because, of course, you would. And I also think, I'd argue the most impressive thing about team's victory is the coach isn't there. Masu. Masu. <laughs> yes, that is as well something that at the second, at the end of the second set, we were thinking, you know, he doesn't have Masu physically here. What is that doing to him? Is that something that, you know maybe made him have this little mental slump but his mental slump soon went away and you know then Nick had one and the momentum changed but again another thing Domi said in his on-court interview was it was after that US Open final he kind of thought it's never over you're always able to change this you know never count yourself out and he learned a lot from that and it's put him in this position I think now 
he is the bookies favorite maybe after medvedev he's second favorite and we'll quickly sort of lump a few topics into one because novak djokovic played the final match of yesterday against taylor fritz and what should have been a routine match for the world number one sort of was looking like he was going to lose because he suffered the first in a couple of core injuries yeah. we've seen at the Australian Open. I think people said he felt, obviously we were watching Nick and team and we didn't really know what was going on, but he won the first two sets comfortably. Fritz obviously was doing well and holding his own and was taking its tie breaks and breaking back and stuff like that. But one of those things where you expend all the energy and the top player still comes out on top. And then I think people were saying Novak fell or something like that, hurt his core and then all of a sudden, you know, everyone online is going, oh my God, Novak's about to be knocked out. And then we had the other factor of it hit half 11 in the evening and play was suspended and the players had to come off court until everyone in the stands had left because they had to be home by 11.59 or it was illegal. And, you know, you had that whole... I don't really think it was a momentum shift, but I think it came around the end of the fourth set when Taylor Fritz was about to serve for that one or you know he was in a position he had the third set already he was about to it was in four. fritz's favor yeah. regardless of when it was but yeah i mean Djokovic obviously suffered that injury and as as the time of recording goes he we're, we're meant to believe he didn't train today yes so his match with raunic in the fourth round is sort of up in the air but just as we were talking about the bookie's favorite it is now Daniil Medvedev, who is sort of surging through people. And obviously he had a tricky five-setter in the last round, which sort of he made hard work of it himself. Yeah. But I don't think there's a player more on form. Maybe his Russian teammate from the ATP Cup, Rublev. Maybe the other Russian teammate, Karatsev. But <laughs> Medvedev is now the biggest favourite. Then you have Djokovic and team tied, and, and then, then you have Rafa. Nadal. As as we speak, obviously this might change. But when yeah, the other core injury happened in today's match, Matteo Berrettini, who seemed to have just almost over-rotated or something as he was hitting a backhand. Yeah. And you could see he was in a lot of pain, and he was two sets up, and I think it was 6-5 Hachanov as he suffered the injury in the third set. And so they played out the tiebreak at six all, and it was, it was a difficult watch. Yeah. Because Hachanov was putting everything onto Berrettini's backhand. Which fair enough. I mean, you've got to do it when you're two sets down in the tiebreak. And Hachanov was quite up in the tiebreak. Mm. But yeah, he was putting everything, and all Berrettini could do was like, limply slice the ball <laughs> back over. And luckily, Hachanov didn't have it in him to close it out, and Berrettini won in three and. Again, another player that's been in very yes. good form since the start of the year. We've had Italy play Russia in the ATP Cup final last week. And Berrettini last week and this week has absolutely amazed. You know, he's one of those players where he really did benefit from the two-year ranking point system because he should not be ranked where he is right now if you were just going to take it from his 2020 performance. And actually, maybe it is a good thing that we've had this in place because now he's kind of back where he was and maybe it is the fact that he has something more to lose now but it's really nice to see and hopefully he will be okay to continue for his fourth round match because it's really nice to see him back beating the top top players again obviously Berrettini suffering the injury puts him in an even worse position but his fourth round match is against Tsitsipas which is was going to be tough anyway but yeah he's now got that to deal with so 
it's going to be a very good match regardless. Here's to hoping Berrettini can go into it with full fitness and hold his own against who you'd expect to win in Sitsipas, but you never know. Yeah, it's yeah. just seeing what happens with him and Novak over the next couple of days. But we've also had an injury in Rafa, which we knew coming into the tournament. Obviously, you and I haven't spoken about this yet because he didn't end up playing any of his ATP Cup matches last week because of something to do with a tweak in his, I think, lower back. Yeah. The good thing is that today in his match against Norrie, he came to the press and he said this is the first day where he's felt some sort of improvement. Every other day he's been playing and training and all this and treating it. Hasn't felt a single bit of improvement. And so it was the first day he said he could do his proper service motion for the first time in the match today. So that is a good positive sign. I don't, I think he could be doing a similar thing to Djokovic and not training on some days to see if that helps out. But obviously whatever he's done has worked and let's hope that carries over into his fourth round match with Fanini in a couple of days another one of the Italians who's been mm. doing very well but and we we were saying this about Rafa earlier I think people are forgetting that he has a very good chance of beating the all-time Grand Slam record for a man okay yes obviously that's what I was talking about <laughs> but that has just gone completely unmentioned yeah and it's weird and Speaking of the all-time leading Grand Slam winner across both genders... <laughs> because we, have, we don't count Margaret Court. We have Serena Williams, who, though has into the fourth round, struggled. She did struggle against Patapova, and it's the absolute thing we were talking about with Isla and Simona, but absolutely intensified because Potapova is, you know, less experienced, younger, lower ranked, and Serena is Serena, Serena Williams. compared to Simona. Um yeah, Potapova served for the first set and there is nothing, you know, that she was doing badly. There is nothing Serena was doing amazingly to be able to beat her in that. It was literally just a thought in her head of, oh my God, I'm serving for the first set against Serena Williams. And Serena in her insane one-legged catsuit in all these unreal pink and red and like black swirly colours and on plat and like the hoop earrings you're right there it's just the most incredible look that we haven't been able to speak about yet and it's great to get that out but also that must be very intimidating on the other side of the net like i think it's intimidating specimen of a woman in front of you and you're trying to serve out a set against her i do not blame her for not being able to serve out that set yeah i think it's intimidating when you play serena regardless but yeah i mean she obviously plays Sabalenka in the next round. Never played each other. But Sabalenka is going into this with some fine form. And if Serena is as inefficient as she was against Potapova, then I don't think she's winning. Yeah, if she plays like that, she's not winning against someone like Sabalenka. But I don't doubt that she can step up her game. And, you know, she did really well last week. She pulled out of her semi-final clash I think it was with Ash Barty but a lot of players did that because they had to stop a day of play for a positive test with one of the hotel workers at the time but yeah I don't obviously if Serena plays like that again I'm concerned if she doesn't I'm not it will be very interesting and we are getting some very cool women's matchups we're getting very we have have a great fourth round all in but yeah um yeah, it'd be interesting to see because I wouldn't say there's a standout favourite on the women's side at the moment. 
I think there's so Osaka's many... Osaka's the bookie's favourite. But she's in the tougher half of the draw. Yes. So yeah, it's anyone's game who can win. Um, we'll quickly just touch on a couple of people that have been knocked out up until this point. Surprisingly, in the most cases. So we touched on Monfils, Chilich and Nishikori, but... Vavrinka went out after a grueling five set against... Vucevic in the second round, I think it yeah. was. I feel like Vucevic has done this to him before at a Grand Slam. I don't know when or where, but it's just somewhere in my mind as a Stan fan. And again, just frustrating because it's one of those where he could have done very well. You know, he is kind of back to where he was before. and He obviously pulled out of Melbourne despite doing very well at the tournament. Uh, just to focus on Australia and I mean he'd probably stand a better chance of winning that 250 event but obviously felt he had a better chance here um we lost Kenin as yes. well another one who cried in press after her loss I think it is just I think we forget that like this is a 22 year old young woman who has never been in this position before. And it's not the same, but you think of, like, Yelena Ostapenko when she came back to Roland Garros a year after her big win and she lost in the first round. And after that, she was like, I'm so relieved. I'm not the defending champion anymore. I've been waiting all year for this. You know, it was so much pressure. And as nice as it is to have that kind of, you know, your name means something now and, like, you become a much bigger star in the sport. Because we're used to people like Serena, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic all just winning the same Grand Slams and not really having that pressure when they come into the next one. I think we do forget that players like this feel the pressure so much when they come Definitely. back and they know they're the defending champion. And I think her having lost this early, in a way, is probably going to be a good thing for her for the rest of the season. And now she doesn't have to worry about Australia anymore. You know, she has her she has her Grand Slam. She doesn't have to prove herself to anyone. And now she doesn't have the weight of being, you know, defending champion on her shoulders. Yeah, she can just play with a little bit more freedom now. Um, we obviously also lost... Uh, Kerber and Pliskova but I think not necessarily the biggest loss on the women's side but the most powerful was Venus Williams yeah so we sadly didn't watch this and there actually isn't much of what we can find in terms of highlights and footage of the match of what happened to Venus which is probably a good thing because it's a horrible thing that you don't want to share and don't really want to you know be watching but as I understand it, I think it was 1-5 in the first set. She already had taping on, I think it was her knee, and then she rolled her ankle near the net and she just let out this scream that the two of us haven't heard because we can't find the footage anywhere. But everyone was, you know, saying that this scream was just piercing and even her opponent herself, I actually forget who she was playing, Sarah Irani, I think it was, was looking at the umpire. She said herself, she was kind of waiting for the umpire to do something because she couldn't believe what had happened but Venus refused to retire she just kept playing you know she could barely run she was you know in some point she would absolutely just run across the baseline from one side to the other all the way to the point where she was almost at the stand and you know hit this incredible return winner or something and you just very few people can do that very few people have that in them. And, you know, whether or not it's speculation that this is going to be her last year on tour, it's just, wow, to watch that and see what she gave despite how she was feeling. Yeah, that's a that's a proper, not winning mentality because she obviously didn't win, but that's a, <laughs> that's a mentality of a sportsman. Yeah, a sportswoman. that is that's, a true, true athlete. That's a never give up. We saw, we saw Serena do it in um, one of the... Uh, WTA events in the summer 
where she just yes was in agony and just couldn't see herself to lose the points even though she needed to and yeah it's a testament to how strong those two sisters are that they refuse to give up regardless of the pain and the struggles they're going through and obviously we don't want it to be a serious injury don't want her to end on this note but I mean, I mean, she was in a Prada boutique with Serena on <laughs> Serena's story, like, yesterday or something, and getting I mean, she, yeah, upset she that seems, they didn't have, like, a certain bag or jacket that she wanted. Seems so. to be okay, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, if it is her fa- last hurrah, what a way to go out, well, just she was fighting doing, to the end. It's frustrating, because she was doing so well before this. She did well last week. She absolutely flew through her first round against Kirsten Flipkins, who got injured, I think, during that Abu Dhabi tournament they had at the start of the year, and we didn't even know if she'd be okay for this. Thank God she was. But Venus absolutely dominated before that. So I think it, first of all, adds to the pain that she got injured like that because we don't know what she could have done. But just to see her continue to play like that is... She's done so much for the sport already, and that's just another thing. Yeah, well, we'll quickly end just with a quick recap on the tournaments from the last week or so that we missed and also a quick roundup of the ATP Cup and then make some predictions for the fourth round and what we're looking forward to. So, I mean, I'll start with my winner in Australia so far, Yannick Sinner. <laughs> Obviously picked up his second title on the tour in Melbourne, um, beat Hachanov in the semi-final, which was a big win for him. And then went on to beat Travaglia, Travaglia in the final. And yeah, what a bloke. Went from hitting partner with Rafa to... Oh, yes, in Adelaide. and Day in the Drive exhibition where, I mean... He lost to the handing over partnership of yeah, the Krajanovic and Djokovic. But still, that experience to be out there as part of, let's say, the elite stars. Because they're yeah. the biggest names. To go and win a title and then to go put up a hell of a performance against Shafavalov, I think... He, He's, he can definitely be proud of his time in Australia. You also had Dan Evans win yes, the other won Melbourne his first title. title at an older age that I can't remember right now and feel bad saying is an older age, but he beat Felix Auger Aliasim, who <laughs> first of all looked incredibly <laughs> solid against Dennis Shapovalov. They played each other again, the Canadian besties. And However, I think that takes Felix's <laughs> final record to, in singles <laughs> at least, 0 oh 7. But yeah, obviously Evans went out in the first round to Norrie, which we didn't cover like a little bit ago, who eventually just lost to... Rafa, put up an incredible fight. Yeah, but I mean, Evans is still kicking on in the tour and to beat someone as, as we can see now, as informed as Felix is a great win. Yeah, Felix, I think, you know, it's one of those things everyone's saying, it's seven finals now, what's that going to do to him? He's 20? Yeah, it's way too early to like, sort of write him off or anything like that. I think as well, if there were a lot of other 20-year-olds that hadn't been as hyped up as Felix, because, you know, there have been people talking about him since he was 14, which mm. is a lot of weight to carry. A lot of other 20-year-olds, you would think seven finals is incredible to have by 20. And, you know, it's literally a glass half full or half empty thing. And you can either look at it as, oh my God, he's reached seven finals at that age, or he's already lost seven finals at such a young age. But... It hasn't bothered him whether or not people think it's a good or bad thing to lose those finals because I think that performance against Dennis was the most solid he's looked when he's come to play one of these kind of bigger 
matchups because people do hype Felix up when he comes to play someone like another big young gun, especially Dennis, because they're Canadian and you know good friends or a big name. It almost not disappoints when we get to it, but he's never looked as solid in one of those matchups and never looked as comfortable. And he just that was absolutely his. And yeah, I was really impressed mm. by that performance. And then on the WTA side, we got Ash, Ash Barty in her first competitive match who, of the year. Everyone's been saying, you know, this two-year ranking thing. She shouldn't be world number one. What's she doing? She turned back up in Australia, in her home country. She didn't actually have to turn back up. She won a title, and then she won the first round of the Australian Open. Six love, six love. Yeah, I mean, just picking up where she left off. And then we've got at the Gippsland Trophy, we had Elise Mertens, a pretty worthy win. I'm pretty sure she beat Alina in, I believe, the semi-final. The semi-final. And um, surprisingly, in one of the earlier rounds, Simona beat Potapova. So she's had to play <laughs> Simona and Serena, which has not been great for her. But yeah. Um... She's done very well as well at the Australian Open Mertens. I think it was today she beat Belinda Bencic 6-2-6-1. So that is a very good scoreline for someone like Bencic. Bencic, who is, I'm now looking, is ranked higher than her, which I didn't know, but there we go. And yeah, so um, yeah, Mertens beat Alina in the quarterfinals, oh. then had a walkover against Naomi yes. in the semis and obviously went on to win it. And then in the final WTA event, because of the... One day suspension. This was the little extra tournament for those who had been in the hard quarantine. Yeah, so we had um, technically two winners. They took a nice little picture together of them both holding the same trophy as if they were doubles partners. Yeah, so you had Anne Lee and... Contivate, who lost today to Shelby Rogers. But yeah, and then just quickly, because we're just about to finish, we had Russia winning the ATP Cup, like we both predicted, with Rublev and Medvedev. We didn't predict Italy to do so well, but... Yeah, Rublev and Medvedev sealing the show, and then Karatsev, who Karatsev is... sat on that sofa all week supporting them, and then thought, I'll have some of that, and he's having some of that in the Australian Open. Yeah, well... We'll quickly move on to predictions because we've never made predictions for the Australian Open on the last one. So I think we should just bypass these fourth round quarter semi-final predictions and just predict a winner on both sides. Or let's predict a final. My final then will be Serena and Ash because they're in separate halves of the draw. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Serena and Ash. Final. All day. Every day. I'm going to go Naomi and Ash. I think Naomi has been flying, and I Naomi think... is on the cover of GQ with Corday, and I think Serena will trip up against Sabalenka tomorrow. Ooh. I do, and then but then Naomi could trip up against Muguruza. These two matchups we've never ever seen before. And then on the men's half, uh, I'm I'm torn. I'm torn between. <laughs> we were saying today we can actually really see a team Medvedev final, which I am... is a repeat of the O2. I am going team. Because I think Djokovic will not recover properly in time. Yeah. And I'm torn between Medvedev and Rublev, who will play each other in the quarterfinals. Ooh. So is I'm, that your kind of preliminary semi-final? I'm going Rublev. To win the whole thing? No, to lose the team in the final. But I'm going okay. Rublev to make the final. I think team will win the, US, the Australian Open. <laughs> 
Anybody playing the final? Nadal, Medvedev, Nadal or Medvedev. Nadal or Medvedev. I think Nadal's making improvements. And I think now we've seen Med. I think Medvedev will beat Rublev, but then he might not beat Rafa because we've seen Medvedev implode a bit today. Mm. And we saw how Medvedev was in that five-setter against Rafa at the US Open. Then I'm thinking about it. Did he not beat Rafa? At the O2. He did. He beat the first, second and third seed. Yes, he did. First Team and Medvedev both beat Djokovic and Rafa. But yeah, I think with Djokovic, it's one of those things where even if he does come through his match tomorrow against Raonic and even takes to the court for it, I think he might be able to get himself through some of these matches and then he'll get to Team and Team will just make him feel that. Yeah, Team has that efficiency that no one else he has played so far has. Okay, well, there is... Oh, Serena and team. I'll go in Ash and team. Serena and Ash fight? No, you think Naomi and Ash yeah. fight? Or... Well, there's our <laughs> first week roundup for the Australian Open and just a quick look ahead as to what's coming up. We'll come back to you after the... I guess after the tournament's over or before potentially the semi-finals and just yeah, round we'll up what's happened. Yeah, we'll see how we play it. It would be nice to do what we did for the US Open and maybe do a separate finals one, but... We'll see what we have time for because the tennis never stops in Australia. And let's just hope the fans will be allowed back in very soon.